Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. There are numerous studies that show that high-quality pre-kindergarten programs have long-term academic and even social benefits for students. Republican and Democratic policymakers, business leaders, prosecutors, and police have all touted pre-K. In Philadelphia, Mayor Bill Kenney successfully campaigned for a tax on sodas and other sweet drinks to provide money for pre-K. The problem is quality pre-K can be expensive. In Pennsylvania, 64% of children who are eligible for publicly funded pre-K aren't being served. That works out to about 113,000 kids. Champions for America's Future is an organization made up of athletes and coaches who are campaigning for more state money for pre-K. Two of those athletes join us today. Bradshaw trying to get away. And his pass is broken up by Tatum. Gowdy making both calls on Franco Harris's immaculate reception and Bruce Baumgartner winning the gold medal in the 1984 Olympics. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Hey, hey Scott, thank. This is Franco, and 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 hearing that voice, I'm saying, oh my gosh, it sounds exactly like uh, <laughs> the reception. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I didn't realize that Kurt Gowdy had done the Olympics in in '84. So, you know, when I was looking for that audio, I was like, okay, I got Kurt Gowdy doing both both of those calls. <laughs> so, Go to show how old we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, gentlemen, you will be uh, at the state capitol today, uh, campaigning for additional funding for pre-K education. Uh, in fact, it's going to be later this morning, so we only have a few minutes here on the air. What's the message that you want to convey about uh, pre-K? Hey, Bruce, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, well, well I think, you know, there's a lot of um, children out there that, that don't have the opportunity, and it is a shame. All the studies show uh, that a high-quality pre-K uh, definitely enhances uh, the educational, emotional success of uh, the students as they go on. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in education. You know, I work at Edinburgh University, which is higher education. I, I try to support, you know, high school, elementary education. But, you know, as you, as you look at if a, a person doesn't have a, a student, you know, a youngster doesn't have a good basis, good fundamentals, it's going to be very hard for them to to, to reach their full potential. And, you know, in sports, we have youth programs where we're starting kids very, very young in sports. You know, we need to make sure academically with a good high-quality pre-K, you know, we provide those same opportunities for uh, the boys and girls of Pennsylvania to, to go up and be very successful young men and young women. Franco. Hey, 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 hey Scott, and I just want to uh, to add, just follow up on Bruce, uh, where where both of us have been very involved in in sports, and we just know that um, developing the skills and the tools that we need uh, to be successful uh, uh, 
um, really comes from the uh, coaching and training and just learning, developing those skills and and like developing your talent and uh, and and that's what pre-K helps with uh, get these kids started early on developing those skills and and their talents. See, that's one of the things I got from uh, your organization, Champions for America's Future, is that the two of you being world-class athletes, that you got a lot of support when it came to sports very early on, and you're making the point that when it comes to academics or even social skills, that these young three- and four-year-olds need the same thing. They need that support, and many of these children are not getting that either at home or for whatever reason, uh, but they're kind of a step behind a lot of other students going into kindergarten. Wouldn't you say that's, that's accurate, Frank? Uh, you're absolutely right. And and what we're trying to do here is to level the playing field. And uh, uh, because really we want to be uh, competitive in, in in many ways internationally and and I guess when we see that internationally that uh, that we're not stacking up, uh, I'm not happy about that. And uh, and and we need to to expand the uh, playing field uh, to more kids. And yeah. uh, and and that's one of the big goals. Well, yeah, Bruce, I, I, go ahead. Well, I, one thing I was going to just that. add to what Franco had to say, he was talking about internationally, uh, math and science scores compared to the rest of the world. The U.S. is 40th in math, 25th in science. How would pre-K help to increase those scores? Well, well what, what we see in the studies show is that the, the countries that are excelling in those areas throughout the world um, have high-quality pre-K and, and put a more emphasis on that. And that may not be the only factor, but it could be one one factor. I see, you know, at Edinburgh University, we do have a lot of young men and young women struggling in the math, um, in the sciences, and, and you look at the correlation of where we are not scoring well internationally is in the math and sciences. So to me, it makes sense if if... The studies show that, um, you know, providing resources and providing a quality uh, pre-K uh, opportunities will increase, you know, our math science scores and, and help our young, you know, our boys and girls become successful young and men, young men and women. Uh, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense. It helps right through the whole educational uh, system that we have. So you, hey, hey, hey Scott, I just want to follow up with Bruce that. Uh, as he mentioned, uh, uh, we need the resources, and uh, and even yourself, you mentioned earlier how um, uh, that it takes resources to make this happen. And but we have to invest uh, into our kids now um, um, at at that stage. Uh, I think that's very important, and and, and that's what. We want to do. We want to reach more kids, but we know that it takes an investment. It takes resources. But both of you live in Pennsylvania, and you're probably well aware of the budget constraints that uh, this the state has. Uh, Governor Wolf proposed, uh, like I think it was a hundred million dollars for pre-K. Uh, as I mentioned, Mayor Kenny in Philadelphia with the soda tax. So it seems like it would take a lot more money in this atmosphere. How are we going to do that? Well, um, that 
that's what uh, what discussion has to be about. Uh, um, we know that there are a lot of uh, important programs and important issues and things that uh, uh, that need resources. Uh, um, but when you look at the future of our country and look at the future future of our state, how can we not do it? Hey, Bruce, one thing you said that really I, I wanted to follow up on, you said that at Edinburgh, that even with college students, you see students coming in as first-year students that uh, uh, may be lacking in some of the math and science skills. Even at that level, you're seeing uh, young people who are, are behind? Yes, I, I just actually got back from the NCA convention last week, and there was a significant discussion on, you know, the lack of preparedness, um, you know, for a lot of students in the, especially the math area and science area. So I think as Franco says, you know, and trust me, I work for the state system of higher education. I would love for them to get more money also. I'm a firm believer in education. Uh, that's what's going to help our economy in the long run and help our state is having high quality, uh, you know, uh, citizens with the quality education whether it be, you know, high school, college, or beyond. Um, so it, it is a tough decision for the prioritization of money. But um, I think if people know the issues and people, you know, our, our leadership knows the issues and they, they have options and they have the information, I have faith ultimately they will make the good decisions to prioritize the money, um, you know, and they quality manner that will will help maybe rectify some of our educational issues in Pennsylvania and, and pre-k is maybe where you start if if we um, you know want to to shift you know some of our academic issues that maybe students are having in elementary high school and beyond and 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 and, and Scott I want to add that uh, uh, budget concerns are always always a concern and 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 it's not like we're asking to go ahead and you know fund all hundred thousand you know kids at one time. What we want to do it incrementally, you know. So this year we're just asking to just increase it by ten thousand kids, and 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 so we know that uh, uh, that resources are. Are tight, but as you mentioned, we have a over a hundred thousand kids that are eligible. But uh, can we just start to increase it uh, year year by year to uh, uh, and to finally be able to get to all of our kids? I know you guys are running on a tight schedule, so I'm not going to keep you very much longer. But you know, I I will add that uh, one of the words that uh, Bruce used. And he was using it in a different context, but high quality is one of the keys, uh, not just child care uh, or babysitting, as some people would refer to it, but uh, that there are teachers, there are people in the classroom who have gotten uh, great educations. Um, one final question here. Who are you trying to reach today? Who's your audience? Um, well, uh, like there's no doubt that we want to continue to educate everybody about uh, the need and the concern of this and um, uh, but we definitely want to uh, uh, 
reach people who can make decisions about about the budget. Mm-hmm. The, the, the people that need the information to make the quality decisions. General Morna, thank you very much for being with us. And, uh, Franco, I, I know I couldn't get away. I know our listeners are wondering your thoughts on the Steelers' loss last week. Oh, that was that was a tough one. It wasn't uh, it wasn't pretty. But uh, I I have to say, when I look at how our offense was depleted, and I look at the tell people that the overall talent uh, uh, that we have and who was missing and um, that I thought we had a really, really good year. Uh, so it um, didn't end it up the way that we wanted it to, uh, uh, but uh, looking at a lot of situations, uh, I um, – I thought we went pretty far. Franco Harris is a former Pittsburgh Steelers legendary running back who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Bruce Baumgartner won four Olympic gold medals, including gold. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. January is Radon Action Month in Pennsylvania. Radon is an invisible, tasteless, and odorless gas that is the second leading cause of lung cancer behind smoke. Joining us for this portion of the program is Bob Lewis, Program Director for the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection's Bureau of Radiation Protection. Mr. Lewis, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having us, Scott. We appreciate and look forward to being here. This is a question, I, as you listen to the program here today, I know you're going to have questions about your own home. Uh, this is one of those things that you hear about but maybe don't know a whole lot about, and that is radon. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, one 800 729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can ask a question or make a comment on WITF's Facebook page or on Twitter at smarttalkwitf. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. All right, Bob, I think it's uh, always wise to start off. I gave uh, a brief description of radon, but I think it's always a good idea that we kind of identify or describe what what it is what it is what is radon well yeah you, you, you did a very good job except you missed one thing on your list there Scott, I, I, Scott. I left that for you Bob <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> thank you very much yeah colorless odorless tasteless radioactive gas there we go and, there's the main main and, thing there's the main thing that's that's the health consequence there and it's also naturally occurring so it's nobody's fault it's in the soil and the rocks in the Commonwealth and all through the nation and the country, I mean, the world for that matter. And so it's uh, very prevalent in Pennsylvania. Unfortunately, we have to, that's why we have such a robust radon program in, in the Bureau. And uh, it's something we think people should be very, very concerned about. So that's why we're all, all the more thankful to be on the program here and letting all the viewers and listeners know about this thing that they, we think we should be careful about. Well, I'm going to get into all the specifics, the different questions about radon uh, that may strike a, uh, you know, that will remind someone of, hey, that's something that I've seen before. Well, maybe not seen, but experienced <laughs> before I'm wondering about. But I did have to ask you about this. I mean, as you mentioned, it's a concern here in Pennsylvania and across the country, but Pennsylvania that I think back years ago, the Reading Prong, that uh, there are certain areas of Pennsylvania that have higher levels of radon or at least more where we have found more radon in homes than maybe any other area of the country. But I want to bring up something that was found just last fall, a record level 
found in Pennsylvania last fall, and this was in a new home that hadn't even been lived in yet. Tell me about that. That's a uh, area that we recently found down in basically uh, southern Lehigh County. It, ironically, it's just outside of the Reading Prong, but it's very, very close. Uh, this is unfortunately it's a new development. Uh, so folks that haven't been living there, only been living there for a year or two, fortunately, because some of them had high levels as well. That record high home that was vacant, so we're fortunately we caught that. And that's what we're doing with the builder right now. We're testing all these homes. We were just down there last week, for instance, testing another two vacant homes. So we're testing them before anybody gets in there to prevent that unnecessary exposure. There's a mitigator that comes in. He, he fixes the homes, put active, puts a fan in. I should say the builder's already putting part of the system in as they build the home. So this is just a unique, uh, it's very probably 300 acres of size ge geologic formation that's causing these extremely high radon levels down in that particular area. All right, so when you say high, give me a sense. I know I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but there, are, there is some terminology you have to use here in how radiation is, is measured. But give me a sense of how high this was. Sure, I can put things in perspective. There are a few numbers here. The national average radon concentrations in people's homes across the country is about 1.3, 1.4. The EPA's guideline value that we all look at as a number is 4 picocuries per liter. The average in Pennsylvania basements is about 7. The average in first floor in Pennsylvania is about 3.5. And the numbers we're seeing down here in the southern Lehigh County area are over 1,000. What? Over 1,000. So whatever that is, how many times that is. So 100 is 25 times EPA's guideline. So you can see it's about 250 times the EPA's guideline. How is that even possible? Well, it, it's possible. We, obviously, uh, it it's is, obviously yeah. possible. It's just the geology. There's enough uranium and radium in the soil that causes these basically extremely high radon levels. Oh, so how was that this found? I mean, is this something that I haven't bought a house in a while? I've been in my house for over 20 years, but a vacant home. How was it tested? How was it determined that that home in uh, vacant home in Southern Lehigh County had something that high? Well, it was originally found oh, in 2014. Somebody was already in, in one of the homes. Oh, okay. And they one just of the nearby homes. One yeah. of, and one of the radon testers in the area had tested it. And I forget what that result was. It was high in the 600s or something like that. And then that mitigator got it, and he let us know. And then we said, well, we better take a look at this. So we did, some, we did an outreach. We did a large mailing to about, uh, I think, 500 folks in that area, in the development in particular. And then we started finding these higher and higher levels down there. Now, when you had that rate of, when I say you, meaning DEP, right. um, had found that it was around 1,000, I mean, I imagine that you pr the first reaction is, okay, so there's something wrong with our equipment here, or this just can't be. I mean, it, it, were, you, were you surprised that you found one that high? Uh, actually not. Really? Because, as you mentioned earlier, the Reading Prong, our original fellow, this Stanley Watrous in Boyertown, he was a sort of the fellow that sort of started the radon program in the country, and that was in 1984, and his level was 2,700. So we, we knew about these levels. There was a level in New Jersey, Clinton, New Jersey, about 3,000. So these, no, these levels did not surprise us in Pennsylvania, at least. Okay, well, you said the guy in Boyertown had 2,700, and this had 1,000. I thought the one in Lehigh County was a record setter. It, it, what, yeah, it was. That was he was like 6,000. Oh, 6,000. I'm yeah, sorry. So, I'm, getting my, I'm getting my numbers yeah, mixed yeah, up. Okay. In the thousands down there. Okay. So Reading Prong, let's identify where it runs from where to where. Roughly from Easton, which is on the New Jersey border just about, in Pennsylvania, through Allentown, Bethlehem, and then it stops roughly in, in Reading.
Okay. All right. And that doesn't mean, though, that people living outside the Reading Prong are safe. That's that's correct. That's what we one of the big things we try to emphasize in the Bureau here, that everybody in Pennsylvania, all 67 counties, we extremely urge people to do the testing. Because, uh, you know, even when I mentioned the Stan Watchers, his neighbor, he had 2,700. His neighbor had about four. So it's just very site-specific, just due to the geology and the unique characteristics of the soil and the f- fractures and the fissures in your foundation and so forth. So please, let's hope everybody in this Commonwealth takes that message and tests. You actually just touched on something that I know uh, you have several booklets that you make available to Pennsylvanians. And I saw one of the myths in there is uh, if my neighbor's house is tested, uh, that I can assume that I am about the same rate as the neighbors, correct? Yeah, right. I mean, it's correct that it's a myth. Right, that's, that's correct. You know what they say about uh, assume, you know. Right, never, exactly. Never, yeah. uh, we won't go out of the air, but never, never assume. So, yeah, take the action yourself. Get a test kit. It's fairly easy to do. It's relatively inexpensive. The directions aren't difficult at all. Test your basement, and you know where you stand, and then give us a call, and we can discuss the results with you. All right, so we, we touched on uh, the, the record setter in Lehigh County. Let's get back to some of the basics. Uh, we mentioned that uh, odorless, tasteless, Radio, radioactive. All right. How does this occur? You mentioned the word uranium, but how does this occur? Well, it's just a, a naturally occurring process that uranium decays, it changes into other elements, and it changes into radium, which is a solid material, and then the radium immediately changes into radon, which is a gaseous material. So that's what causes us the problem. If it wasn't a gas, if it was a solid, we wouldn't have these problems because it wouldn't have the mobility. But being a gas in the soil, it's able to migrate from the soil into the basement homes. And once you have a home, you have a, basically you have an enclosed structure right on top of the source material. So that affords the ability to, to build up to these high concentrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, you're using the word basement uh, fairly often. Uh, if you are, are we talking about something that's underground, I mean, basement, foundations, uh, if, you know, we know there are some homes that are built just on sta- slabs, are they safe? Uh, no. Basically, a basement home, a full basement home, a slab on grades, crawl spaces, uh, theoretically even trailers if they have, a, you know, some, some sort of a foundation and a skirt around them. All of those structures can have problems as well because they're still basically in contact with the soil, which is the source of the problem. Mm-hmm. We have a question here from Lyndon Hummelstown that said uh, she would assume that the more disturbed the soil is, the more radon problems we have, like developments have higher radon levels. Is that accurate? Uh, not particularly. It just has to do particularly with the location where you are, which we've seen in Lehigh County. We've seen in the Reading Prong, central Pennsylvania as well. So it's more to do with the specific site that the home is sitting on rather than the soil disturbance. All right. So what's underground where you say that there are specifics out there, uh, depending on the geology, what's there? What's underground that uh, more uranium is produced? Well, that just happens to be the geology, geologic specific, particularly some a lot of the granites, uh, some of the shales tend to have just high, slightly higher concentrations of uranium than some of the other types of things like limestones or things of that nature. Mm. You we're talking about radon. It is Radon Action Month here in Pennsylvania. 1-800-729-753 is the phone number if you have a question for Bob Lewis, who is the program director for the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection's Bureau of Radiation Protection. Uh, you also can send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. Or you can leave a question or comment on WITS Facebook page or on Twitter at Smart Talk WITF. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. All right. So, uh, 
you know, I one of the we don't want to scare a lot of people, but this is right. something that uh, obviously there are a lot of awareness weeks, a lot of awareness months. This to me is one of those that actually does need awareness because it seems as though uh, a lot of people don't pay much attention to it, probably because it is tasteless, odorless, and you can't see it. But why won't, that's not just Pennsylvanians, but why doesn't radon get more attention, Bob? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, thank you for the plug. Uh, good good question, Scott. I'm not totally sure. Uh, it's uh, estimated by EPA to be killing 20,000 people in the United States from lung cancer every year, so it certainly should be getting more attention than it is. Uh, we've tried to do our best here with uh, the public service announcement that we run all January, uh, shows like Smart Talk. We've done numerous interviews throughout the month here as well. EPA continues to push this. American Lung Association pushes this. Surgeon General pushes this. So I'm not totally sure, except for the, what you said earlier, you know, this out of sight, out of mind mentality here with folks, unfortunately, that's just it's just not something they go down to their basement and they think about. I guess there's, we're so busy in our lives and so forth, so I'm not sure. All right, so how do you test for radon? Fairly easy. Uh, the test kits are available in many of the home centers. You can go on our website. You can call our 800 number. Sometimes, if you're careful, you can go on the Internet and find test kits as well. So the, that's the first step. Or you can, buy, you can uh, hire a certified tester to come in and test for you. Uh, testing is easy. Basically, it's done in the basement. You take a test kit. You read the instructions. You place it in the basement for generally two to seven days. And you send it off to the laboratory with the necessary information, and probably two weeks later, you get your test results. And by the way, we have uh, links to DEP and where you can get their website, where you can get more information about just what uh, Bob described. Uh, just go to our website, WITF.org, and click on Smart Talk, and it has a description of today's program, and we do have those, those links as well. Um, okay, then comes... What happens if you find out that uh, you do have high levels of radon? This is the part that I think that even those people who realize that the, they may have a high level of radon, this is where they get a little bit hesitant because of the cost. But how can you go about it? Well, potentially, yeah. If you've, you know, you have elevated levels above four and you confirm that, basically, then the next step would be to do some sort of corrective measures to uh, try to reduce those levels. There is a uh, community of certified radon mitigation contractors in the Commonwealth. I think there's about 100 of them distributed throughout the Commonwealth. So your next step would be just like any other home repair. Give several of these folks a call, get them in, give, get some estimates. How would they design the system? When can they do it? Things of that nature. What kind of warranties and guarantees do they provide? And after that, they can do the job in about a half a day for typically $800 to $1,200 is the typical prices that we see. And once the system's in, then you do a, a test, another test, a post-test, it's called, to make sure the system is doing what it's supposed to be doing. I have a coworker who uh, she and her husband had this done, and their bill is about $2,000, and she said that much of it was the follow-up. I don't know what you mean by much of it was the follow-up. Uh, that they kept checking. It's kind of what you were talking about a little bit earlier, just, just kept checking to make sure that the levels were where they were supposed to be. Well, the follow-up testing is just is, is in as, as inexpensive as the initial testing, so it could be 20 or $30. Oh, okay. Occasionally, though, you put a system in and it doesn't work right. So you get the levels, you start out at 20, and maybe you put a system in and it's 10. So the contractor has to come back several times to make some adjustments, add another suction point, things like that. So that can add to the cost if he didn't, if it wasn't put into consideration initially. All right. So, and we're going to take some phone calls here in just a moment, but so how does the remediation process work? I mean, from what I understand, it's fairly simple. 
You're correct. It is fairly simple. The contractor would come in, basically, whether it's a slab on grade or a basement. He's going to drill two, uh, several holes, possibly, in the slab. He inserts some PVC pipe into the holes, seals them up, and then runs a pipe outside of the house somewhere. Uh, outside of the house is where the fan goes. And then there's above the fan, there's another stack going to roof line. So that's a system of piping and a fan. Basically, what you have is a vacuum cleaner underneath your basement floor. The fan simply draws air from below the slab. When it does that, it diverts the radon from coming into the basement and dumps it to the outside air where it's safely dissipated. Nothing that I could do on my own? Sure, you absolutely could. A good homeowner, a good handyman can do do that themselves in their own home, yes. Mm-hmm. And would you say under the slab? So it's not just like, a, a, say, going through the wall of the basement? Correct, yeah. The, basically, the, the, most of the radon is coming from below the floor level. Mm-hmm. So jet, sometimes they will go through a wall into a block wall, for instance, to add another suction point, as they call it. But most of the time, it's in the floor. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take some phone calls. Dan is uh, at Fort Indian Town Gap. Dan, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You certainly piqued my curiosity. My question is water quality from wells. I know there's a casement, but there's hand-dug wells. This would seem to be a place where it could trap easily. Would this affect water quality? Great question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Good question as well. Uh, what Well water particularly can be an issue. Our advice to folks is, If you've tested your air, which we advise you to do first, and you have a radon problem in your air, and you're on a well, test that also. There are test kits for well water that you can get as well, and uh, because that can be a contributing factor to the air. Yeah, see, I I wondered about that too, Dan, because when I saw that the water could be impacted, and you said that this is basically something that uh, is coming through the air, I was wondering how water could be impacted by it. Right, yeah, you know, you have a well, basically, that's that's drilled into the the soil and the rock, so that's, once again, the source of the radon, so the radon can permeate into the well water, well water. Just well water? Primarily, surface water and things of that, and usually large public water systems are treating their water to the extent that it's not an issue. Mm -hmm. Dan, thank you very much for your call. How is water treated? Uh, There's two treatment methods available. There's a charcoal filtration system that the run, basically it's a a scuba tank type size tank tank that's filled with charcoal, and you just run the radon or the rudder through the tank, and that adsorbs the radon. That's one method, and the other method is what they call aeration. So you basically just bubble the water as it comes in. The bubbling drives the radon out of the solution because it's a gas, and you vent that to the outside. And so both of those methods are available for treatment. We have an email uh, from one of our listeners says, is it possible that people don't pay attention to radon because they think they cannot afford to solve a radon problem? That's kind of what we just touched on. But sure. if you find that your house has radon, do you, do you have to disclose it when you sell the home? Uh, yes, there is a real estate disclosure law that not only applies to radon, but any sort of material defect in the home. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, that's Is that relatively new? I don't know the date on that. I don't think it's, okay. it's been All around right. for a number of years, I believe. I mean, see, the reason I said, like I said, I just personally, last time I bought a house was 25 years ago. It wasn't something that came up at that time. Um, but I know that even though it doesn't get a lot of attention from the public, I imagine that if you're trying to sell a home, you're trying to buy a home, that it's something you'd want to know about. Sure. Now, I should I should point out, you know, Radon, we work on a guideline value. So even though you're required to disclose it, you don't have to fix it. Okay. So someone that, that, who is, is, is buying a house, they would have to be told that, hey, Radon is at this level. It's above what it's supposed to be. 
but it's it's not like part of FHA or any kind of government program where it must be repaired. That's correct. And it, it then basically ends up between you know agreement between buyer and seller how they ever they want to work it out. Are there any other legalities having to do with radon and buying and selling? Uh, not so much in buying and selling. The other, only other legality would be basically our certification program, that all the industry in Pennsylvania, the laboratories, the testers, and the mitigators must be certified by the Commonwealth in order to do business. That's the other law. Are there, are there people out there who aren't certified who uh, say, hey, I'll test your, your house for radon? Uh, yes, there are. They're trying to rip people off? It, potentially. And uh, we, we, if we find them, basically we uh, institute some uh, penalties against them and enforcement. You do, you do that on a regular basis? Well, I don't know what you mean by regular, but if we find them or if they're reported to us, we will, yes, take action. Why don't they just get certified uh, that's if good, they're legit? That's a good question. It's uh, not. It's a bit of a rigmarole to get certified. There's continuing education. There's a form to fill out. There's fees, et cetera, and training. So I guess that might be the reason, or, or they don't know about it. That's a possibility. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. On this portion of the program, we're talking about radon. January is Radon Action Month in Pennsylvania. Our guest is Bob Lewis, who is program director for the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection's Bureau of Radiation Protection. If you have a question, or a comment. We know that uh, there are a lot of people out there who don't know a whole lot about radon. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page or on Twitter at smarttalkwitf. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. Allison in York says, I have a radon mitigation system in my house. It came with the house. In the past four years, we finished our basement, so now it is more of a living space. Should we have the basement retested now that we use the basement more and changes have been made to the basement? Good question. I would say absolutely. The general recommendation is after you've had a system installed to test roughly every two years. So I think she said it was four years ago, and particularly in the fact that now it's a living space, so I would say this is a perfect time to do a retest now, yes. Okay, now... I just want to clarify a few things. You said that you should follow up. Any difference that they made some changes to their basement? I mean, would that um, serve to heighten the amount of, of radiation possibly or potentially, or does that just not make a difference? It would depend on the changes. Probably finishing the basement, if it's more cosmetic, carpeting, tile on the floor, things of that nature, would probably not change the basement. If they did major structural changes at the house, added a garage, a, a family room or something on slab, or a major heating system change, those things could potentially change the radon levels. Ben asks, if I want to install an abatement device myself, where can I buy the parts? Um, I think you can go online there. You just look, uh, type radon mitigation fans is really the only thing that you would be unusual. Everything else you can probably get, you know, the home centers, Home Depot, Lowe's, True Value Ace, those type of places. Mm-hmm. Susan asks, and I don't know quite how this is pronounced. I'm sure you would. Uh, I have a kitty or is it a kid? Kitty, yeah, it's a, that's, kitty. A, that's a lab. Okay, I have a kitty radon detection kit for the home that I picked up a few years ago at a community event. It has an activated charcoal radon sampler tray. I don't see any expiration date on it anywhere. Is it still good to use? Uh, not sure. There, there's a lot of expiration dates on some of them. Generally tend to be about two years, I think. I guess her best bet would be just base with the lab kitty and see if it's still good. Okay, let's go to Rachel in Chambersburg. Rachel, you're on the air. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I apologize good morning. if you already answered this question. I just tuned in. 
Um, my question is, I purchased my house about seven years ago, and on the disclosure it said that radon was tested and was fine. Is there a point where I should have it retested? Would not be a bad idea, particularly, uh, you never know what happens in real estate transactions. You're not in control of the home when the testing is done, so that's one issue. And sometimes over time, things can happen as well, so I think it would be advisable to maybe do, consider doing a retest uh, at this time of the year. And is there a fee for the, act, for the actual test, or only if you need to have something done? Oh, both. Yeah, you would have to purchase, okay. you purchase the test kit as well. Yeah, as, and if there was something needed to be done, then it would be a fee for that, obviously, the installation as well. Okay, so the test right. kits, Bob, how much? How much would they cost? 25 to $40, generally, if you buy them, you know, at the home centers. Okay. Oh, All right. good. All okay. Right, Rachel, thank, thank you, you very, much. very much for your call. You're welcome. All right, let's go to Deb in Harrisburg. Deb, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about um, radon um, mitigation process and everything as far as it goes. Um, our, we put one in our house here in, in Harrisburg, and um, uh, the reason why we did is I guess it, it had become in the news like about, I don't know, around here a few years ago, and it kind of perked us up as far as um, what maybe had been our problem when we lived out in Colorado. We had a house with um, an exposed basement, and um, it wasn't finished, and um, we had a golden retriever, and our golden retriever um, was down in our basement a lot, and he ended up coming down at seven years old, came, come, came down with um, lung cancer, which was really strange for golden retrievers to get lung cancer, from what we were told. Uh, we, we really think that our golden retriever came down with lung cancer because he was in our basement, and we think that, because um, there's a lot of radon, I guess, in Colorado as well. So I don't, it's something to think about. Um, you know, it it was almost like the canary in the coal mine kind of thing, you know, mm. which we didn't realize at the time. Hey, Deb, thank you very much for calling in. You know, that, that would seem to be, to me, unusual that a dog would get lung cancer. I've never heard of that, but I'm sure it does happen. But uh, she may have a point there. And it, it goes to show that it's also very difficult to tell. You get lung cancer. Now, if you're a heavy smoker, you kind of can point to it. Radon, it's it's kind of hard to tell. Right, yeah, I'm not, not sure about the, the dog with lung cancer. I know a lot of pets and dogs do come down with cancer. Uh, lung cancer, I'm not sure of. Uh, it, you know, it's possible with the high enough levels and the dog being down there for seven years that it, it could have been, a, a, you know, a, a cause. Mm -hmm. We have uh, Linda ask, uh, as a follow-up, do trees take up and process radon the same way they do carbon dioxide? I'm not, never heard that. I'm not sure. I don't think so. And has there ever been any health studies that are done to show that lung cancer is greater, greater in areas where radon is known to be? <laughs> we get that question a lot. That's a tough question to answer, and we have not been able to show that just because of the, the sort of we're, we're buried in the cloud, or so to speak, because smoking is so much more prevalent cause of lung cancer than radon, it's difficult to s determine that statistic. Plus, you have the mobility, people moving and selling all the time and coming and going. So, unfortunately, we have not been able to show that. Yeah, but you would think, though, that, uh, Bob, and I, this is a real good question, because sure. you would think that you would have higher instances of um, of lung cancer in that Reading prong, because not, you know, not a lot of people move. I mean, you have people who have lived there for a long time. Well, we just we have not seen that. No one has demonstrated that yet in any of the studies. 
and you know, they're also, and I say you know, yes, you know this, and I want to get you to talk about it, is that um, there are people who think this is a hoax, that, uh, you know, you can't really show it, especially when you just said that uh, you, you don't have studies to show that there are higher instances of lung cancer uh, in these areas. What do you say to that? Well, we have to just move back onto the on the science and the scientific organizations. There's a, a large body of evidence from the United Nations, from the Surgeon General, from the Environmental Protection Agency, from the American Lung Association, the DEP, and so on and so forth that are showing that radon is a serious health consequence. We know the doses, that we can calculate these radiation doses that people are receiving at 4 and 10 and 20 picocuries per liter, and it's significant radiation doses. Sometimes it's more than people would even are allowed in, in, in nuclear power plants. So I, I, I think the majority of the scientific community is indeed in concurrence that this is a serious health effect. Okay. You, you just really, I'm sure, raised some eyebrows when you said higher than some nuclear power plants. Kind of explain that, if you would. Well, there's a, there's a dose limit for nuclear power plant workers and workers and radiation workers in general. It's called five REMS, just the amount of radiation. Sometimes people in these homes with have 10, 15, 20 picocuries per liter are actually getting more radiation in their homes and are allowed in, in power plants by workers. Workers, What's a picocurie? A picocurie is, is a unit of measure for radioactivity uh, that we measure radon in. It's four picocuries per liter is the guideline. It's just in the activity. So there's so many activity in a, in a given liter of air. You know, we've all seen, and I'm sure you've actually done this, but uh, where you have the devices that measure radioactivity. Uh, what are those called, by the way? You mean Geiger counters? Yeah, Geiger like, counters. Like the old timer years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was old, too old time. That's why I didn't say it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up. There are some things we still use. Right. Geiger so, counters. Similar. But if you went into a home that uh, had a high r radiation or high radon level, would that show up on a Geiger counter? It depends on how high it is. As we talked about earlier, these homes in Lehigh County that were very, very high. Yes, we can pick that up on these Geiger counters. In the homes that are more typical in Pennsylvania, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, I don't think that would show up on, on the Geiger counter. Mm. All right, let's take some more phone calls here. Ed is in York. Ed, you're on the air. Hello, Ed. This is Roy. Oh, Roy. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. What, what's, what's your question, Roy? Yeah, I was wondering if um, your heat pump is drawing air from the basement and would it be distributing the radon to other parts of the house? I think I got that, yeah. Uh, yeah if you have a, an air system that has returns and supplies in the basement, that's going to distribute what's in the basement more to the first floor than you have, if you had a closed type of system, such as a hot water or something like that nature. Sure. Uh, so, actually, what about, like, other heating systems that, uh, you know, obviously there are some air coming out, uh, you know, depending on, on what kind of system you have? Or is it just like what uh, Roy described with, uh, uh, you know, uh, what time, What kind did you say? What, what kind of heating system? It's a forced air heat pump. Forced air heat pump. Well, any, any, any type of system that's moving air from the basement, you know, to the first floor is going to tend to distribute what's in the basement more so than upstairs. As a rule of thumb, what's in the basement, you'll find about 50% what's up on the first floor. So if you have eight in the basement, you might have four, four on the first floor as a rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. All right, let's, uh, maybe before I do that, uh, the question just popped in my mind. The higher you go in the home, say you're uh, uh, second floor where the bedrooms are, or maybe there's an attic, uh, does it dissipate as the higher you go? It tends to dissipate as the higher you go, yes. Mm -hmm. All right, let's take a phone call from DJ in Hershey. DJ, you're on the air. Well, 
I guess DJ is no longer there. All right, but uh, DJ's question says, as a realtor uh, and test rate on every, every home they sell, however, ran into radon tests for well water a few weeks ago, which he had never seen before. You touched on yeah. this. Uh, but is there, you know, one thing I didn't ask is, is there an actual test for well water? There is a test for well water. You can have a, some of the testers come in and do it for you, and believe it or not, the homeowner can do it yourselves as well. There are some labs that sell the test kits. They'll send you a couple of vials. You'll go down. You'll take a, a sample of your water, send it back to the lab, and they'll send you some results. had a question here from a listener. wanted to know if uh, radon is heavy. Talking about the weight, does it stay on the ground or does it go into the air? <laughs> good, good question. Actually, radon is the heaviest gas that exists. However, in spite of that, it still does not basically sit on the floor. There's just enough movement of air and rising, warm air rises and so forth, that it still mixes quite uniformly in a basement or a house for that matter. What about temperature? Uh, temperature, well, temperature has an effect on, on its rising. The warm air rises, so when we have a temperature warm in the house versus a cold outside temperatures, that tends to create this what's called a stack effect. So it just basically means the warm air rises through the house. When it does that, it pulls the radon in from the soil and then up through the house. Are there times of year, different seasons, where radon uh, is heavier than or more prevalent than, than other times? Yeah, not heavier. The weight stays the same all the time, obviously. Right, right. But wintertime is the ideal time to do the testing because all the testing is done, all the short-term testing at least, is done under closed house conditions. So in the wintertime, that exists as a normal part of your, our living. So this is an ideal time to do the testing. DJ from Hershey is back on the air. DJ, you're on the air. Hi. 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 I'm a realtor here in Hershey, and uh, uh, for the first time ever, I've heard of somebody testing radon in their well water. Yeah, he, he kind of touched on that, but real quickly, Bob, if you just want to you know, respond to that. Yeah, that, that's, uh, as I said, something we should be recommending if you've had some elevated levels in your, in your air in the basement and you're on a well, test the well water also. I guess my best advice, after you get your test results, you probably want to give us a call because interpretation of radon in water is a little bit different, a little more difficult and different than radon in air. Why is that? Well, well, one, there's no standard for it. EPA has a proposed standard. It's been sitting out there for 20 years, but I, the key word is just proposed. And they also have an alternate proposed level, so there's actually two different levels that use, and it's just sort of an apples and oranges scenario between the air and the water. Let's go to Christy in Lancaster. Christy, you're on the air. Hi, thanks so much for taking my call yeah, this sure morning. I grew up in a house with radon. We didn't have it tested until I was maybe in high school. So I was just wondering in terms of health and my health, what I should be looking for kind of in the future, um, if that's something that could affect me. Uh, it depends on what kind of concentrations you were exposed to. I, I uh don't know what the advice would be. I mean, you test you certainly you want to test your home now. I don't think I would be worrying about it too much unless you had extraordinarily high levels. I don't know that I would necessarily go to the doctor for that. You can certainly mention it to the family doctor, but it's sort of somewhat like cigarette smoking. Uh, you know, the longer you smoke and the more you smoke, the higher your risk is sometime down the road. But at the same time, once you stop smoking, you start to uh, incur benefits. The longer you've stopped smoking and the longer you stop being exposed to radon, you start incurring benefits from that as well. Thank you very much for your call. I would imagine that uh, if you have high levels of radon in your home and you are a smoker, that you are increasing your chances, correct? That is exactly correct. Those two things in, in combination are not good. Let's go to Rich in Mount Joy. Rich, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. I'm, my question is about houses that have radon remediation systems in them, 
and in their basement they also have a sump hole with a sump pump in it that's open to the basement or maybe partially covered to prevent objects from going into the sump hole. Doesn't the sump hole, isn't that counterproductive to the remediation system? Doesn't the sump hole allow radon to enter the basement? Oh, that you are exactly correct. That should be taken care of while the system is installed. They can put uh, fairly airtight covers over the sump, as well as they can still put a, a one-way valve drain into the sump hole, sump cover as well, to deal with both of those issues. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you You're very welcome. much for your call. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Kevin in Camp Hill. Kevin, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, good morning. This is Kevin Stewart. I'm with the American Lung Association Environmental Health Director Hi, Kevin. in Pennsylvania. And I uh, did want to respond a little bit to, earlier to uh, one of the questions that was brought up about uh, the health studies. And uh did want to confirm that uh, when people have been studied and you have a very good uh, understanding of what their lifetime exposures have been, uh, it's very, very clear that those who are exposed to higher levels of radon are at higher risk of lung cancer. And there are some studies that have uh, been done in places like Iowa where people don't move for, for 30 years and so on. Uh, so that gives you some, some evidence there. That uh, And there are a number of other studies around the world that have confirmed this as well. So I did want to point that out. And, and I think the other thing I did want to mention very quickly was that the um, – uh, the, the question about well water has come up, and, uh, and, and I think Bob can confirm this. In Pennsylvania, uh, the great majority of radon problems uh, uh, can be solved um, uh, even in houses with well water uh, as if there are only uh, soil uh, and airborne radon coming into the house. Um, uh, it's only in those cases where uh, you have a little bit of difficulty in, in getting the radon levels down that um, um, it, it starts to make more sense to, to go after the, the well water as a potential source because I think most of the time uh, well water contributes very little to radon in air. Hey, Kevin, thank you very much for your call. And I should mention that uh, speaking of the American Lung Association, we're going to be talking about lung cancer a little bit more tomorrow Good. with the Lung Association, and uh, we'll be talking about smoking uh, tomorrow. Uh, so the points that Kevin made, any response to that? We have about 30 seconds left. Well, it's a good point. I mean, radon in water in Pennsylvania is generally not an issue. Radon in air in Pennsylvania is a very big issue. Radon in water is much more of an issue up in some of the New England states, but it's still a good idea. Like I said, if, you, if you've tested your air and you have high levels to test that also, you just you know, eliminate that possibility. So, Bob, to th summarize, we have about 30 seconds left in the program. Advice that you would give those listening today? Uh, perfect time of the year to do the testing. We would like uh, to see the all homeowners do the testing. We'd also like to see school districts and school buildings do the testing, and even potentially buildings, you know, like WITF, police stations, libraries, and so forth. If you're in contact with the soil, you can have potential problems as well. So those buildings you just mentioned, schools, WITF, public buildings, they're not tested? Uh, generally not, no. Okay. Uh, Bob Lewis is uh, with the Department of Environmental Protection. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having us. As I mentioned, coming up tomorrow, we're going to have uh, someone from the American Lung Association talking about a new report on smoking. That comes up on tomorrow's program.